what can you get from simulation in terms of learning and what you don't think you can get? I think the skills and drills you can teach, but generations of doctors have been taught how to manage anaphylaxis, did not need high-end simulation to do that. So it seems a bit going overboard for that sort of thing. I think it works well for human factors in terms of the team management. You can lecture someone on human factors and it's very tedious. It doesn't mean very much. But if you go in as a group and manage a time-critical incident, then there's something to talk about. And that's far more powerful to someone that's learning because it relates to real life. We find in the debriefs, one of the best things I like is when one of the doubt says, well, this happened to me. And they say, right, well, tell me about what happened to you. Oh, well, we had a patient just like this. And this is what happened. And that went well, well, that wasn't so. They debrief themselves. So that means when it makes it personal, that's when it sticks rather than just very impersonal, esoteric discussion about situation awareness and closed loop communication. The key thing about the debrief is it shouldn't be a lecture. But what's the point in doing the simulation beforehand? You've got to see what happens in the simulation and see what human factors aspects have been demonstrated in that, and then you can have a chat about it. And that's why having a full day, because one scenario, you may pick up some good things about communication. Another scenario, good situation awareness stuff, but you don't know what's going to happen, and you have to be very flexible. That's the fun part of it. And sometimes people in a scenario do something you really didn't expect, and you've got to go with it. It's really interesting. You can chat about that, knowing that you can pick up maybe how to challenge or raise concerns. That'll come. We'll do that in a different scenario. We'll pick that up later on. The simulation is just an excuse for a chat about how we're going to manage these patients better. That's all it is. You have to have a real experience to talk about. You either have it from a simulation or you have it from their own personal experience. And I suppose if they do relate it to something that's happened to themselves, then that almost reinforces the learning and turns it into a, a real life experience that they've learned from, which will then give a lasting effect. Sometimes people criticise simulation saying, oh, well, you know, for the two days after it, I'd probably have been better, but then the effect wears off. You know, one, one day's training course in anything, the skills you learn or whatever knowledge doesn't last as long as you would like it to. When people start talking about their own real experience, often the next person says, oh, that happened to me too. Right, okay, how did it go? And then it's personal. And then they'll open up and they'll start talking. And as a facilitator, you just sit back and let them talk. And then you can bring it together and say, right, okay, after all those experiences you've had, tomorrow if this were to happen again, what were we going to do? And they'll pull something in from the simulation. They'll pull something in from their own experience and say, okay, well, maybe we'll do it this way. And that's where having the benefit of time to do that, a 10-minute debrief is very difficult to get there. You need time to let people talk and open up. When they start talking about, this happened to me, and they often bring up big things that happened to them that they perhaps haven't talked about before, which is really interesting and requires quite delicate handling, especially when it's a multidisciplinary group. We have had people say, such and such a person they've worked with has said this to them in the past. And then you've got to write, okay, let's not keep this person off. Let's talk about the principles of these things. Again, that's the art of the debriefer to make sure that you don't get bogged down in minutiae. You bring out some general prints from a specific incident. And I think that's the fun bit. That's the bit I enjoy. In a, another course, wasn't an ITU course, but we have our foundation doctors and nurses. And um, at the end of the course, we were just chatting about what people got out of the course. And the foundation doctor said, it was really great working with the nurses. You know, we don't often train with them. That was good. And some of the nurses, especially some of the junior nurses, said, we didn't realize how scared the foundation doctors were. The junior nurses thought, well, they're doctors. They've got doctors. They know everything. And they didn't realize, actually, no, one, they don't. And two, often they're quite scared with a critically ill patient. And um, it's the stuff that doesn't happen on the wards. 
that discussion rarely happens and simulation allows that. So they go away with having walked in someone else's shoes a little bit or got their views on the day. Suddenly, I think the team works better the next day. Again, having our consultants there was really useful because, again, they started to talk about issues they have. One consultant would say, oh, well, you're walking down the unit and you've got no beds, right? I need to sort out transfer, et cetera, et cetera. And the nurse sees the consultant wandering past, says, oh, I'll quick ask him about this gas. And sometimes we're really filled up to here with things to think about. And suddenly getting confronted with it, oh, can we just have a quick look at this gas means we're slightly about to tip over into not being in a good place. And that's why we get a bit crabby sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're says, all right, okay, so maybe think about where the consultants are and ask, well, is this something I can maybe ask the registrar, not just to conveniently walking past consultant because you've got quite a lot to do at the time. And it's just having that conversation as a team means that the next day, perhaps there'll be a little bit more understanding of each other's roles and what they can and cannot do. That's why having the nurse faculty is really important. It's sort of conversations that we probably ought to have a bit more often, but we're giving them a space to have that conversation about how they work together. It's interesting you say, yeah, people learning more about other people's roles, because somebody said to me recently, and I completely agree, that the, the more senior you get, the more you don't want to do simulation, because you're more worried that it will expose any gaps in your knowledge or abilities. And in the same way you said that the nurses think that F1's supposed to know everything, Everyone thinks that the consultant's supposed to know everything and people don't want that exposing. One of the hardest things we had to get was anaesthetic consultants to an anaesthetic human factors course. And I ran one very early on and our final consultant, a very experienced consultant, his hands were shaking before he went into the simulator. He had a very good reputation. He was well respected within this department, within the region. And four of his colleagues were about to watch him. He felt he was about to lose his reputation by making an idiot of himself, by missing something. He had everything to lose and nothing to gain. And that takes hard work to get round. Um, and that's where actually the more senior people need a lot of support. Or another example we had from the nursing staff, uh, a group of nurses, and we were doing a scenario where it was asthma, possibly a PE, and we put a senior nurse in first. And she was absolutely convinced it was a PE, and it wasn't. And we finished the scenario, and I went and debrief, and I thought, this is going to be really difficult. She's going to come out looking quite bad for this. And I said to them, well, what do you think was going on? They all agreed with senior nurse. And it was quite a difficult debrief. And at the end, I talked to one of our nurse educators, and she said, you've got to realise, Paul, that they'll be working with her tomorrow on the ward. That's their senior. They'll never see you again. Of course they're going to agree with her. They're not going to try and make their boss look silly. I find that dynamic bit is very interesting, but it can throw out your debrief. And again, I could have gone in all guns blazing saying, you're wrong, it was asthma. All along, you've made a mistake. Uh, They're going to hate simulation. They will never be back because I've destroyed the group. So if someone was wanting to set up simulation in their unit, who do you think they need buy-in from? Your unit director has to do it. Um, Your trust head of education, nursing and medical are useful to be supportive for it. The thing is, they'll say, well, what do we get out of it? Proving that simulation makes a difference has been very difficult. Generally, they will enjoy the course. They will give you some good feedback and say, yeah, by the end of it, actually, that was quite good. How you demonstrate a change in behaviour is very difficult. Trying to prove it shows actual improvement in patient outcome, very difficult. If someone nails that, then we've sold it. In obstetrics, uh, CNST insurance is linked to simulation training. So that's a very powerful driver. That's if there's trust money. 
So if you can demonstrate that you're addressing some of these issues, it does go down well. And in terms of you also, you can link it into critical issues on your unit. Anything that's gone wrong or resulted in an adverse outcome, and often the clinical governance people, well, how do we train for this? How are we going to sort that out? We'll say, well, I can do some simulation for that. It ticks a box for them. But having your clinical directors, your nurse educators, your nurse leads, get them buy into that because they're the people who will supply the people to come along. They'll facilitate people coming. And if you can solve the problems they have, in that often they say, well, we've got four or five new start nurses. Well, great, get them along. We can come along with some of the more senior nurses. That will help them integrate more with the team. We've got some MTI doctors now working for us. We've had them attend courses as well, again, as part of their training. So often people are looking for a training solution, and sometimes simulation can offer that if you address their learning needs. Not coming along and say, I've got this wonderful course you want to do. Well, it doesn't do anything for us, so you'll not get anybody there. If someone wanted to set up simulation, what sort of tools do you think they need to have before they go into that? An interest, for a start. Um, you need to have senior support. Often we find trainees are tasked with setting up some training. And it lasts as long as the training is there. There's no consultant backup and it falls apart very soon because the enthusiasm lasts only as long as they're there and there's no follow-on. That's very disconcerting and people get fed up with that because time and effort is spent setting up a course that's not sustainable. So having senior people involved. Uh, the mannequin, it probably doesn't matter an awful lot what you have. They're all much of a muchness and good points and bad points. If I was starting, I would start off just simple skills and drills because that's easy to debrief. So a failed intubation on the unit, that's easy to do. Getting the patient ready for a, a time-critical transfer, easy to do. You have to have credibility. So if you're teaching skills and drills, you've got to be able to say, well, this is how we expect them to do it. If you want them to go into more human factor style, you need to have some video recording. I think you need to have more dedicated time and more time to do it. There's numerous faculty development courses, lots of simulation centres run faculty courses, which is a good starting point. ASPE are very supportive of simulation. Um, they have standards for simulation, which are published and are fairly widely agreed. Attendance at any of the uh, simulation conferences as well, where you can get workshops and debriefing. Again, they're always very well attended uh, and they're very useful. The Royal College now has got a simulation strategy. There's simulation leads in all the regions. They're useful contacts for just finding what's going on outside and going observing. Just watching someone else do their course is very useful to start to give you a handle on how to run something. We're always very happy for anyone to come along and watch our courses, and we do have a faculty development course. So there's ways and means of getting a bit of training, a bit of support, and a bit of experience before you embark on doing anything solo. For you, you maybe have quite a specific type of funding, don't you? Funding for an isolated intensive care unit. It's hard to get that funding, isn't it? It can be. A few years ago, about 10 years ago, a lot of funding was out there for simulation, and a lot of mannequins were bought. And a lot of mannequins then sat in cupboards for years because there wasn't the time, there wasn't the support from the faculty to develop and use them. We are fortunate in that our faculty and I'm, I've got fixed days at the centre. I am there. That's my job. And that makes it far easier than people are trying to do it in their SPA time. And that's why I think having one person running it doesn't work. Because what happens if you're sick that day? What happens if you're on call that night before? Your rotor suddenly changes. You need permanent staff to support and a pool of faculty that can lighten the load of the organisation. Funding is always going to be difficult. There's no question about that. And there's no satisfactory answer for it. 
med funding is often easier because trainees have study leave budgets. However, the college, of course, only support certain things uh, and won't pay for all things. So again, you've got to have an idea of what does this tick the box in terms of trainee needs. Nursing study budgets are very limited. Back in 2004, simulation was really becoming exciting. Do you think if someone had asked you back then what it would be like in 2019, do you think we're at where you think? Or do you think, you know, simulation hasn't gone to the heights that it was predicted as back then? It got very sexy for a number of years. Um, Simulation courses expanded massively. Uh, I think there was an enthusiasm for a new mode of teaching. It was interesting. You got lots of kit to play with. And a lot of courses were set up that never really proved to be sustainable. And there were courses for everything. And I think they've tailed off over the last five to six years or so, something like that. And I think that people are appreciating that simulation has a role in education. It is not the be-all and end-all. It is useful in some aspects. And I think it's tailed off a little bit to finding its natural position within training.